0: to a lot of preachers each week and I heard Andy Stanley share a message called Don't Be Gross about the topic of engaging the church and I just, it wouldn't leave me Um, So this is uh, the admission of guilt up front. I love this idea so much that I borrowed this title and theme for today. Um, I know Andy's church and they're a resourcing church. They give away so much of their stuff, so I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up on their website as a resource soon anyway, but I just wanted to be up front. The title and kind of the idea behind this was from his message of the same name. Um, So you'll find out what we mean by not being gross later, but I think that this could be not be um, a more perfect timing with all the things that are going on in our world today, and I hope that will become clear as we just spend the next few minutes together. One of history's greatest mysteries is this one How did a first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire because Judea was considered the armpit of the Roman Empire if you were assigned to Judea um, you had done something terribly wrong uh, how was it that a first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire whose leader Jesus was rejected by his own people and then crucified how in the world did it survive and it even thrived in the face of violent and organized state-funded resistance how did this happen okay um let me ask it a different way how did it come that a nazarene sect because this is what Christianity was referred as um, in the first century by people who are wondering, what is this and how do we make it go away? Um, how did it come about that a Nazarene sect would eventually be embraced by the very empire that for 300 years sought to extinguish it? Or how is it, for those of you that have visited Rome in your adult life, um, how is it that there is a cross commemorating the crucifixion of Jesus hanging over the emperor's entry? in the Roman Colosseum. How did it happen? So this is the mystery that historians have pondered really for generations, and they all pretty much arrive at the same conclusion. I'm going to read a couple quotes to you this morning. In Karen Armstrong's book, Fields of Blood, um, the historian famously says this about one of history's greatest mysteries. She says, against all odds, and that's really an understatement. We can't even begin to imagine. Against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. And then here's the giveaway statement. We still do not really understand how this came about. Nobody can deny that it happened. I mean, here we are, right? But how in the world this happened is one of the world's greatest mysteries. And we don't know how it came about unless we pay attention uh, to and take seriously the eyewitness testimonies of the men and women who were there for these events. And eventually they documented them um, for the entire world. So it's amazing that it happened. It's amazing, really, that sandwich between the temple and the empire, this little movement that began in Galilee with the Galilean day laborer by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. It's amazing. We've even heard his name. It's amazing. Anything about him survived, but it's undeniable that it did. Um, But what's even more amazing is that Jesus of Nazareth, he actually predicted it. Um, he was gathered with his guys way up in what we would consider Syria, way, way north of Jerusalem. And they're on their way to Caesarea of the region of Caesarea Philippi. And you remember this, maybe if you grew up in church, Jesus is saying, Hey, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying? It's a question you should never ask. And I should never ask because a lot of times you don't really want to know the answer. Right. But what's he saying? What's my reputation in the community? and they're saying well some people think that you're the reincarnated prophet john the baptist come back to life and then he says to them remember this he says who do you think i am who do you guys think i am you've been with me for a while who do you think i am and peter finally gets the right answer to a question and he makes this extraordinary statement he said we believe that you're god's chosen one we believe that You're the one that we've been waiting on. We believe that you're Christ, the anointed one, God's chosen one. We believe you're God's final king. We believe that in some way, and don't ask us to define it, but we believe that you're the son of God. And Jesus smiles, and then he makes this statement, and they had no idea how epic this moment was. He says, you're right, Peter. And on that statement, on that basis of that statement, that I'm Jesus, the son of the Living. God, Christ, on that rock. I will build my Greek term, ekklesia, my movement, my assembly, my congregation, my gathering. The term church should never have appeared in our English Bibles. It's not a translation of a Greek term. It's a German word that got superimposed. That means building or the place of God. But Jesus was talking about people. He was talking about a gathering. He was talking about a a movement. His disciples are looking at each other and thinking, the 12 of us, are you kidding? I mean, we're scared to death half the time. We don't even really like each other. And then Jesus says, and the power of death, some translations say Hades, the power of Hades. And Hades isn't hell like we sometimes think it is. Hades for them was just a place of the dead. It represented death the power of death will not be able to overpower it so he says guys i'm going to start something new and my death won't stop it and peter your death won't stop it and john your death won't stop it and matthew your death won't stop it but you've got some writing to do and james and all of you we're about to begin together on this new movement and nothing's going to stop it to which again they must have looked at each other like with us are you right? really and then, you know, I'm sure somebody wanted to raise their hand and said, Jesus, I don't know if you've been paying attention, uh, but do you know what happens to people who start new movements around here? Do you know that Rome is not a fan of new movements? Do you know that the temple leaders are not a fan of new movements? Do you know what happens to people who begin new movements? And he knew exactly what happened to people who started new movements, and it happened to him. And that's the mystery. And those same boys who were gathered with him that day they had no idea what an epic moment in time this was Um, that same group of men boys really would would document why his death was not the death of the movement and the reason death wasn't the death of the movement is because jesus did not do what every other dead person did he did not stay dead And this is when the movement began. This is this is why I love the statement he said, "I will build my ecclesia." It's a future tense thing. I'm about to do something new, and nothing, nothing, nothing is going to be able to stop it. That's my favorite I think Bible prophecy, and I think part of the reason it's my favorite is because well, we are the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus predicted us. If you're a Jesus follower, if you're part of the church, Jesus predicted it. And Jesus predicted us and during his lifetime ministry, he inaugurated what we call this upside down kingdom of God come to earth where all the values were flipped upside down. It would be a kingdom of hearts. It would be a kingdom of conscience. It would be a kingdom that begins inside a person then lives its way out in such a way that impacts the world around him. That people would see our love, our, our, the things that we do with our hands and our feet and somehow look up and give God glory and recognize our Father in heaven. He flipped all these self-evident first century ancient scriptures of the ancient world upside down and then in the end talk about upside down he would lay down his life for his subjects instead of requiring that his subjects lay down their lives for him so whoever heard of such a king right and then if that wasn't enough then jesus would call upon his followers to lay down their lives for each other And in doing so, he laid the foundation of our modern assumptions regarding equality, dignity, freedom, liberty, safety of all shades of colors of men and women and children. And they were, in fact, all of them precious in his sight. And then he laid down his life for his subjects. And again, instead of requiring us to lay down our lives for him, and then perhaps the most unprecedented move, and this is what I want us to talk about today, in the most unprecedented move of all, he asked his followers to lay down their lives. Not for him. He asked his followers to lay down their lives for each other. And he said, this will be your mark. This will be your brand. This will be the distinctive, as I have loved you. You are to love one another and you are to love one another in such a practical, visible, notable, noteworthy way that the world just sits up and takes notice and says, what in the world is going on with these people? I want some of that. And then he said, you are to love your neighbors. That's simply the way that you want your neighbors to love you or to love the neighbors the way that I have loved you. And guys are to love your enemies, too. You know, Jesus would say just because someone declares you their enemy, you don't have to return the favor. And it was this new brand, this new covenant brand of love that began to change the world. The citizens of the Roman Empire began to internalize this. They embraced this and became so moved by it that the world, the empire, the whole known world at the time began to change. And something that was unprecedented happened. Something that we don't think, I think, could happen again happened. And, uh, you know, something that never happened before happened. And I, and I want to quote another person, Bart Ahrman. He's a famous New Testament um, scholar, but also an atheist. And in his book, Triumph of Christianity, at the very end of the book, here's what he says. Christianity, and this is so important, Christianity not only took over an empire, Rome, it radically altered it. It radically altered the lives of those living in the empire, it was a revolution, it wasn't just a movement, it wasn't a religious thing, it definitely wasn't a political thing. It opened the door uh, to public policies and institutions as they were tending to the poor, as they were taking care of the poor and the, and those that were um, you know, less than in their society. It was a revolution that affected government practices and legislation and art and literature and music and philosophy. Um, and And then, this is so amazing, what a great insight, and he's so right. This is what he says, and on an even more fundamental level, level, it transformed and changed the very understanding that billions of people had about what it means to even be human. Because when Jesus unleashed this kingdom agenda on the world through those, those 12 men and the, the women that followed him and the men and the women that would be a part of his first century church, when he unleashed that agenda, people began to believe for the first time out of Judaism that this is a God, there is a God that created me and I am made in his image. And suddenly every single man and woman and child, regardless of what they had or or knew or didn't know, they had this inborn dignity, not because of what they accomplished or where they lived, but because they were created by God. This is what Bart Ehrman means when it changed the very idea of what it means to be human. He goes on to say this, however one evaluates the merits of the case, however one's views, you can be pro-church, anti-church, pro-Christian, anti-Christian, it doesn't matter. However, one evaluates the merits of the case. No one can deny, and here it is again, what every secular historian has arrived at in terms of the conclusion. No one can deny Christianity, this movement launched by Jesus that he predicted. His ecclesis, ecclesia, it ecclesia, was the monumental cultural transformation the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. The most monumental cultural transformation the world has ever seen. The Ecclesia, Jesus movement. Now look up here. If you're at home, if you're doing anything else, I want you to look me in the eyes. I want you to pay attention for just a second. Friends. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are part of the church, any church, we are stewards of that movement. We are the stewards of that movement. In other words, The responsibility for this generation of the church is in our hands. The faith of the next generation and this generation is in our hands. And we have a choice to make. We can either take from it and and consume because, you know, we get what we want. And, you know, I'm going to go to heaven when I die and my children are going to go to heaven. My grandchildren are going to go to heaven. And I like this preacher. and I like this preacher. And I, I I take this and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And I kind of form my own thing, but I don't have the time to be engaged because I just consume, consume, consume. We can do that. It's easier than ever to do that. I mean, I totally understand that we've made it easier than ever to do that. Um, Not just us, but churches all over the world. You know, we've tried to get the gospel out all over the world uh, via the Internet, especially that happened during the the pandemic, um, you know, realm in the last couple of years. But um, we have a choice to make. We can either consume and disengage or we can engage with this movement to ensure that the church, the ecclesia, continues to be an influence in our neighborhoods in our culture, in our communities, in our nation, and continues to influence the conscience of the world. I want you to think about something. What we've experienced this year as a culture and as a world is an extraordinary example of what we're talking about. And This has affected me personally because I have family that's um, in the Russia region. Um, but why is it that most of the world is watching what's happening in Ukraine and Russia? Why is it that most of the world has risen up in opposition to what's happening there? Why is that? We say, well, uh, it's just people shouldn't do those sort of things. Says who? Well, a nation shouldn't invade another nation. Says who? Well, it's just not right to impose your will upon people who didn't invite you in. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who? Who made the, that rule? Says who? You know, why is it intuitively you know that that's wrong? Why is it intuitively people all over the world who aren't even believers, who have no interest in religion, why is it intuitively people just know that shouldn't happen? I'm telling you, it's the leftover, the shadow, it's a reflection of the impact of the ecclesia, the church on the world. It's what Bart Ehrman said it was, it's a cultural revolution and there is a set of ought and ought nots that come right from the teachings of Jesus once upon a time what's happening in ukraine was just the way it was you know it sucks to be you i'm glad i don't live there hope it works out in the meantime you know those people are saying we're going to build higher walls and if there's a way to exploit what's happening in this war for the sake of my family and for the sake of my nation i'm going to do it we're going to join in because that's just the way the world works but why is there an international conscience now that says this is wrong I'm telling you, this is what every historian who studies it says. Like it or not, believe it or not, this is the idea, this is, this is this idea of human dignity of rights, whether it's women's rights or, you know, the slave or, and on and on. It, it all comes from this crazy upside down kingdom that Jesus launched and initiated in the world. And it would have been crushed between the temple who didn't agree with it and the empire who certainly didn't agree with it, except for one thing. It wasn't the teaching of Jesus. It was the event. It was the life. It was the resurrection of Jesus. Now, you know this, and we are smart people. You read, you pay attention. You know what all the experts are saying about the church all the historians all the people that study church history are saying that the church in america is dying and and that the pandemic pandemic just kind of sped up what was already happening in a decline in attendance that america is heading towards a post-modern culture like europe with abandoned and repurposed cathedrals and sanctuaries so i have a question for you um i don't want you know i i just want you to think about this i want you to i, I want you to Ponder this internally right now, okay? Do you know who determines whether or not that statement is true that the church in America is dying? Do you know who determines whether or not the church is going to be here, a vibrant and stronger church in the United States of America for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great grandchildren? Do you know who determines whether or not we become Europe? And, you know, if you're from Europe, that's not offensive to you because you know what the churches are like in Europe. And you know what the church leaders in Europe would say to you and you would say to those, uh, you know, th- th- that have just become consumers. They they would say to us, don't let it happen on your watch. Don't let it happen in the United States what has already happened in Europe and other places of the world. Don't. Fight for what you have. Support what you have. Show up for what you have. Don't let it happen here. Because they're fighting and working so hard to revitalize the churches all over Europe. The churches that laid the foundation for the very rights and the very dignity of every human being that they're not fighting for. So if you were to ask the average person, why well, why is what's happening in Ukraine wrong? They would just say, well, it's wrong. Well, how do you know it's wrong? Well, everybody knows. It came from a fountainhead. It came from a fountainhead. The fountainhead of the teaching of the life of Jesus as exported all over the world by the Ecclesia, the church. Andy Stanley's told this story, and I think it's worth telling again. Um, He said years ago, they were in Beijing with a group of his leaders, and they were doing cool things over there with orphans back in the day, and they were touring a factory. And this uh, was an American that owned the factory, and at the end, this um, owner, he asked, do you guys have any questions after the tour? And there was a 20-something Chinese young lady who was pretty good with English and had been shadowing the tour leader, learning to give the tours, and she raised up her hand and said, I have questions. And the guide was kind of surprised because he wasn't asking you know, her. He was asking the people that were taking the tour if they had any questions. She works there. But she said, I have a question. And she turned to Andy and she said, Pastor Stanley, why doesn't everybody in America go to church? Well, her story is she gets on a bus for two hours to go to a Bible study that, because it was legal in her village. And then she travels two hours back. And so she said, sometimes, you know, I don't have the bus fare. Sometimes literally, I don't have the time after, after my job, you know, to do this five hour, six hour thing in the, in the day. And I've heard in America, there are churches everywhere free to worship. Why doesn't everybody in America go to church? And he said that he really didn't have a good answer to that, except for that. Maybe we've forgotten we've lost sight of or perhaps we never knew the role of the ecclesia in our culture and the role of the ecclesia in our world and the impact that the ecclesia has made historically in the world. So back to my question, do you know who decides whether there's going to be a vibrant church for your children, for your grandchildren, so that you can decide whether or not what happens in the United States is worth exporting to the rest of the world in terms of the influence of the ecclesia? Do you know who decides whether or not we become like the churches in Europe? we do we do we decide that you and don't kid yourself it's not me you are the church you are our church and you could even say it this way you are your church and the question is will we not me will we be the church Will we fulfill our divine mandate? Will we be good stewards of this extraordinary thing that Jesus launched and laid down his life for? He smiled and said, hey, when I'm gone, it's going on. And you can participate in it or not. You can ignore it. You can just be a consumer. But it's going to go on. And then every generation, there is a group of people who rise up and say, we're going to keep it relevant in our culture. We're going to keep it fresh. We're going to keep on loving people. We're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, Jesus, that's you. You're the headline. Will we fulfill our divine mandate. I say, yes, I'm a pastor, but it's not going to happen without you. Now this is a part where I tend to shy away. I, and you know, I try to kind of be funny and just kind of move through this, but if this is too important, And there was a part of me that didn't want to share this message and the one next week because it feels like it's so in your face. But as long as we have the platform, this role comes with a responsibility. And part of Pastor Deanna and my responsibility is to tell you, and this isn't embarrassing, this is exciting. I hope this is exciting for you. You are a part of the body of Christ. This is God's will for you. I don't know, you know, God's will for you in a lot of other areas of life, but I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if... If, if you are a Jesus follower, it is God's will for you to engage in the body in such a way that the world continues to be affected by the love of Jesus in the context of the ecclesia, the, the local church, and that the cultural revolution that Bart referred to in his book will continue all over our neighborhoods and our communities in the world because there are places in this world and our neighborhoods and our communities where that revolution has not yet taken hold. So the apostle Paul he's writing a letter to this crazy and mixed up church in Corinth. And I mean, they just had all kinds of wacko stuff going on. Read 1 Corinthians. Um, And scholars believe that there's actually a third letter to the church in Corinth that disappeared. I kind of wonder if they were just so offended by that point, they just tore it up. We don't know. But anyway, here's what he says to these people. We've got all kinds of, they've got all kinds of stuff going on. He says, folks, you are the body. And this was new language. What do you mean? Is this like a metaphor? No, he's saying you are the body of Jesus. You are the body of Christ. You are supposed to be doing in your community what Jesus did when he was on the earth. You are the hands and the feet of Jesus. And he was talking to this church, but collectively he would say this to us in our local expression. We see this in other parts of scripture as well. He says, you are the body of the anointed one. You are the body of Jesus. And each one of you, here's the part where we've got to lean in. We've got to really hear this. Each one of you is a unique and vital part. You're like, well, I don't feel like a part of it. I don't really want to feel like a part of it. Or I used to be a part of it, but I don't want to be a part of it anymore. I just like to consume content. And Paul would say, no, 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 that's not how it works. And here's what he would say. To us, because here's what he's saying to them. He said, Now let me illustrate. If your foot should say, well, if your foot should say anything, right, it's it's game over. But <laughs> if your foot should say, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being a part of the body. Now I mean if any of your body parts decide I'm not a part of the body, the rest of the body is like, Well, you are, well, I don't I don't want to be. Well, too bad, you just are. And if the ear should say, I mean, they're laughing while they're reading this. If the ear should say, I'm not an eye. I. I don't want to be an eye. I. I don't want to belong to the body. If I don't get to do what I want to do, and if I can't do what I want to do when I want to do it, and if it's not convenient for me, then I don't want to pay, play. Paul says we're not playing a game. Right? You, you can't take your stuff and go home because you're attached. You're a part of the body. It would not for that reason Stop being part of the body. And again, if we go back to that earlier scripture, that reading, it says, Now you are collectively the body of Christ, the hands and the feet of Jesus in each of our collective communities. He said, But it's not just the collection. Each one of you is a vital part, an important part. If you've ever seen a disconnected body part, it's not pretty. And I won't go on, it's gross. But here's what Paul is saying, really. He's saying, Don't be gross. Act like you're a part of the body because you are a part of the body. Don't be gross, but be engaged. And for some of us, and I understand this, I'm not as critical as maybe I'm coming across today, but for some of us, it's time to re-engage. So if you're grateful to be a part of our church family and not engage for whatever reason, the pandemic um, scattered a bunch of people. I mean, I understand life happens some of you have a very good reason and it's a season um to to kind of be stepping back but i believe for a lot of us it's it's really a critical time to re-engage and i'll just say it one more time i know for a fact that this is god's will for you he speaks it out if you're really if you're watching online in your pjs today i understand i mean i get it i i no wonder some of us are choosing to stay home right we've made it so easy i totally get it and there's No condemnation that we're happy that you're here. We're happy that you're watching. But here's the thing. You're in a season. I'm in a season. We're in a season where the church, the ecclesia is going to have to be more intentional. If we don't want to see what the experts are saying is already happening. The decline has been charted. The course has been set. We have to be more intentional. And if you're in a season where you have more to give in terms of time and flexibility, I would say to you, we need you. We really need you. And we do need you, but it's not about we need you. It's about you need us because you're a member of the body of Christ. And what's at stake is way too big for us to just be content and be consumers. Right. And I'm not going to beg you. I am not even. I, I may not even bring it up this way again for a while, but I'm inviting you, all of us, that are watching or listening, whenever and wherever you hear this, I'm inviting you not to attend something or just watch something or just consume something. I'm inviting you to participate in something. And if not here, my goodness, somewhere, because you are a member of the body of Christ, so you get to participate and act like one. And I mean, really, come on, this is the invitation of a lifetime, right? This is, other than the investment that you make in your family, there's no greater investment of your time in your life than the local church because this is the epicenter of God's activity in the world and in the community and to the degree that we participate amazing things happen because whenever the body of Christ is active in a community that community thrives people thrive people are better kids are safer marriages are more healthy men and women and on and on and it goes we know that the church is the hope of the world because Jesus said to his guys and again they're looking around and you've got to be kidding right you're talking to us he says you are the light of the world And they're like, what? I've never been more than 10 miles from my house. I'm the light of the world. Jesus goes, you are the light of the world. If you decide to believe in me and follow me, you become the light of the world. And where you flourish, people flourish. And now you know this, if you boil this down to, uh, our simple mission is, is simply to inspire people to follow Jesus. That's what we're about. That's it, because we've experienced this. Following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. We've experienced that. And when and when enough people follow Jesus as part of a community, that community gets better too, right? And here's how we do it. This is the part we don't talk about too much on the weekend because it's kind of a, a long and a little bit clunky. But in terms of the whole thing, how do we inspire people to follow Jesus as the local ecclesia? Pastor Brentana wrote this as part of the mission as they birthed this church. He says by helping the spiritually hungry experience God and discover purpose and destiny through free and open worship biblical training and release into personal ministry. In short it's by engaging people in the life and the mission of the local expression of the ecclesia, the local church because the ecclesia, the church is the body of Christ. That's why we want students to be engaged in the life of the church, children to be engaged in the life of the church, adults to be engaged in the life of the church and to embrace the mission of the ecclesia, which is simply to inspire other people to follow Jesus. And to do this, everybody who considers themselves as a part of the local body needs to engage with that local body. I want to give you three ways to do this. Number one, listen for come sit with me opportunities. I'm going to give you three knots. Think of a, a rope with knots in it. Whenever you hear somebody say, I'm not in church, you immediately say, well, come and sit with me. Not you should come and visit our church sometime. No, you know, we don't do that. Well, when they say we're not in church or we're really not church people. Oh, well, come sit with me this weekend. Doesn't matter who's preaching. Doesn't matter, you know, what the subject is. You just automatically say, come sit, come and sit with me. Second, not when somebody says things are not going well. Well, my marriage is hurting. I'm having trouble with my kids. My finances are tanking. My job is not going well. Oh, well come and sit with me when it comes up well I don't go to church well I know but just come and sit with me well things aren't going good well I know well, our church is about us all about all about people for whom things are not going well <laughs> right so just come and sit with me When whenever you hear somebody say they are not in church or not a person of faith just say come sit with me things are not going well come sit with me the third knot. Not prepared for. Some, someone just got married and they're not prepared for that. Um, how do you prepare for marriage, right? Some of us weren't. We thought we were, but we were not. I just started a new job. Not prepared for that. Um, I just moved to the city. Not prepared for that. Um, we just had our first child. Not prepared for that. Um, you know, I just became an empty nester. This, this is kind of messing up my world. Not prepared for that. Just come sit with me. And you can do this easy at restaurants, when you're shopping, your neighborhood, everywhere. It's just to come sit with me. And here's the good news, bad news of this. Maybe most people won't, but you still get credit. And then you don't even have to save a seat for them on Sunday. (laughs) But listen, listen, seriously, imagine... If all of us, the ecclesia, come sit with me, come sit with me, come sit with me, and maybe they won't initially, but you know what? We hear this all the time in our baptism stories. We we baptized four people on Sunday morning. It takes four or five times for people to be invited to anything a lot of times. And Yen and I both have come sit with me stories that we like to share, and we try to take every opportunity. Maybe it's the Uber driver or the lady from the mall, and you just put it out there. Come sit with me. And they may say yes, they may say no, but in every case, you know I a person will come and sit with a stranger at church or maybe you're not a stranger maybe they'll come sit with a friend because that's the preacher that asked them no here's why Here's here's what we hear over and over, and just trust me, somebody will say, You know, I've heard about that church. Uh, My neighbor, or or maybe somebody else uh, at work, invited me once before. And it may take a few times, but just imagine if we all engaged in the mission of the church, and here's the thing this is some of your stories. So you know I'm not making this up. You have no idea what hangs in the balance of that invitation. You have no idea. Even if you're number three and it takes until number five uh, to get them there, you just have no idea what hangs. In the balance of that invitation. Some of you, your faith story began because somebody invited you. They took a chance. They took a risk. They didn't know what was going to happen. They showed up with you or saved a seat with you and they were scared to death when they showed up and they are saying, Pastor Sean, please don't say something stupid in the message this morning. I hope the music isn't too long. I hope it's not too short, but just right. I hope that they meet nice people who welcome them and engage with them when they come in. I hope they can find a close parking spot because people left spots that are close open for them. You know, and suddenly, you know, what you're doing when you invite someone to church you're evaluating it, you're thinking about it you're either proud or you send me an email and that's okay, you know, it says so I, I brought a friend, it was a disaster, fix it you know what, we'll take those emails because we're on a mission with our Heavenly Father to engage with people and here's the thing, you can't invite if you're not coming you just can't I'm going to leave it at that number two change of clothes here participate in connect groups this is what makes a big room full of of people in a sanctuary feel like a small and connected church this is where you feel accountable this is where there's a sense of belonging and a sense of care and every once in a while somebody's like well i was in a group that was small and it kind of fell apart and my response is, so <laughs> yeah, we we've tried that. Well, wait, 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 wait. Uh, you don't try it. If you had your 19 year old who had just gone off to college or son or a daughter um, and they found a local church in their community, and you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. My my daughter, my my college student is going to church. And then three weeks later, they come back I'm like ah, I, I tried it. I didn't like it. Would you say, well, just give up? no you you would encourage them well you know give it a give it a few weeks give it a month or you know honey go find another church you know go find another community to plug in you don't just give up on church right and some of you have had a bump in your group experience but let me say this don't give up on community uh, you don't give up on the one another's uh come so you know we're adults so we I, I believe you can do this and, and you know some of you i get this you think well I'm a professional christian you know I know the bible inside and out and i rarely sit in a small group and go, I've never heard of that in my whole life. That rarely happens to me. Well, you know, here's the thing. If it's getting a little bland for you, a little dry, that doesn't mean it's time to leave. That means it's time for you to step up and lead. <laughs> it's You lead, not leave. Um, we're look, constantly looking for adults, young adults, young people, couples, individuals who are willing to lead groups and communities so we can have more of it, more of that health within our church family. So this is your opportunity to get engaged. We've got a summer semester that's about to happen. So lead a living room group in your home or an affinity group, Based on something that you already love, hiking, going to the beach, put Jesus in the middle of it, get together and pray and love each other and worship, you know, get somebody with a guitar just get together and be the one another's to one another. That's a you know a big part of who who Jesus what Jesus preached about, right? And taught about. And the third, we need you to volunteer somewhere. And the thing is, you know, I know you're busy and this isn't going to come as a shock to most of you, but the whole church, our church, the church in Rapid City everywhere was built with busy people. It was busy professionals, busy people who are committed, get things done. Hey, I'll get it on my calendar, even though I've been busy. If we only worked with non-busy people, if we only had those kind of volunteers at the church, we wouldn't be sitting in the fabulous building that we have with the technology that we have. I know you're busy. We get that. I, we really do, and I'm not trying to guilt anyone into anything, but I do want to get the information into your hands with some next steps so you can take some steps to engage with the church in this way, um, to serve in your local context, to be a part of the body of Christ. So let's just close with this, and I hope this isn't too weird. I've got a good life. I I do. I don't need anything. I've got a beautiful wife and family, seven amazing children. We've got all the vehicles we need to get where we need to go. Our lives are so blessed. But I'm telling you, my heart is so broken over the disunity in the church in America. And my heart is so broken over our loss of influence that the church has been reduced to a voting block to a constituency that both parties are trying to wine and dine and split us up so we will support their candidate of choice when we've been called not to a a political party but to love people. And we've talked about this before, there's always gonna be disagreements in culture and community, but there does not have to be disunity. Disunity is always a choice. Disagreement can't be helped, but disunity is always a choice. I think we can be a part of fixing that. And I'll tell you what else breaks my heart. This generation has a new term that it's lead into. and It's not really new. It's a new term, but not really a new concept of everybody deconstructing their faith. And do you know why your 20-something and 30-something-year-olds are deconstructing their faith? It's probably because um, they were handed a faith that's easy to deconstruct. They were handed a Bible tells me so faith, but they haven't put their hands and their feet in the in, in engaging with the body of Christ. The Bible tells me so is not what launched the church. When Jesus stood in Caesarea Philippi with those guys, he didn't say, OK, well, hold on, guys. We're just going to have to wait for 300 years from now. Um, there's going to be a book and then then it's going to begin. No, that's not how it happened. We, we have to anchor this generation and the next and anchor ourselves to the event and the movement that eventually brought us the Bible. And we, we have to anchor our faith to the event. It's not for, for my sake. It's not for your sake. Even it's for the sake of this and the next generation. We must anchor their faith to the event and the person, the resurrection that launched the movement that he predicted himself. That is the ecclesia, the church. When Rome finally capitulated to the, the Christians, the bishops were able to come out of the shadows with these documents that men and women had risked and given their lives for and the first bible was eventually assembled that was the icing on the cake but for 300 years without a bible for 300 years without regulated literature they flipped the script on an empire that is the power of love that is the power of the gospel and that is the power of men and women being the hands and feet of jesus in the communities and in the world so as you can tell I'm more passionate than ever because we have more potential than ever. So I'm more energized than ever. But I want you to be as well. And I want us to engage. And we can we just stop for a minute and just say thank you to all those that have served and have fully engaged, even consistently through a pandemic these last few years, for those who gave consistently and allowed us to do all the things that we're still doing. We're more grateful than we could ever be for you. And I, I will try to give, tell you every chance we get. But to all of us. Let's find a place in the body now. We are the body. We want to help you find your place in that body. So let's do this, right? I mean, against all odds, this is what the secular historians tell us. Against all odds, the church changed the world once, and there's still so many in the world, in our neighborhoods, in our city that need to know a Savior. And by God's grace, with your help, maybe perhaps, maybe God would use us to bring about some of the changes in our community, in our neighborhoods, and in our nation. Historically speaking, just historically speaking, the Jesus movement should have been buried right alongside its founder, but it wasn't. John, John, the gospel writer said it this way. He said, the light never fails to shine through the darkness, light that darkness could not overcome. So let's make sure that darkness doesn't overcome it in our generation, in our communities and in our nation and on our watch, because the church of Jesus Christ is worth it. You won't regret it. So let's do this next week. We're going to get down to the nitty gritty. We're going to talk about some real next steps. But just between us, we got to lead the way. Our greatest need is always our best opportunity and our greatest need is to help the next generation of the church win. So here's what I want you to do. Before the day ends, I want you to get your phone out, get your laptop out, go to your computer, point your camera, whatever, whatever you do. Um, there's a QR code if you've got the notes pulled up um, from the website. But there's a link at the bottom um, of this video. We'll put it there um, for our team's page. You don't have to do it now, but I'd like for you to go to that link and take a look at all of our current volunteer teams, all 19 of them that we currently have here at Destiny. And you'll be encouraged in this one more time in our gathering next week. You'll have an opportunity to hear from several of our team leaders personally, but I'd like for you to at least to take a look at it this week. And I know some of you are already thinking, well, I don't do children. Well, okay, well, we need some greeters. You know, we need some people to help Sandy Loughburt, who's going to be really, launching our welcome team. We need some coffee makers. We really need some help on our media and sound teams. And and we need connect group leaders to step up and lead. We need musicians and vocalists on the worship team. And we need all kinds of people. And we do need incredible leaders for our children and youth too. So would you at the least consider engaging with us as we try to help our next generation of the church win? Um, Here's the thing. If it seemed a little bit harsh today, if I seemed a little bit harsh today, I know that you love and are grateful for the church. You probably wouldn't be here watching otherwise. Uh, So let's be the church because seriously, the faith of the next generation and of this generation depends on it. So let's get this right. All right. All right. Uh, let's pray, Father God. We thank you for your word to us. This, this um, whenever we're listening to this and in, in this archive and this podcast or wherever, the website. And God, we thank you for um, those ears that are hearing or watching and seeing this. God, I pray that your word, uh, your calling for us to be a part of your body, your ecclesia, Lord, would be speak loud and clear into our ears today. And I'm not going to even put much other words into it. Just, Lord, call us into engagement. Call us to be the ears and the eyes and the feet and the hands and the heart and all all those things, the parts of the body that you have called us to, to engage in the mission of the Ecclesia that you birthed, that you died for, that you gave your life for. God, I thank you for it in your mighty name we pray. Amen.